here today. I heard just this last week that there are three elements to a great sermon. Uh, number one, a powerful introduction. Uh, number two, a convicting conclusion. And number three, for numbers one and two to be as close together as possible. <laughs> well, I hate to disappoint you. <laughs> I can't begin to express um, all the appreciation I feel to Pastor Craig and your congregation for allowing me to come back today and to share with you. Uh, this, as he suggested, was the fourth year, I think, that I've been here. This year is a little different. I actually got to preach the very first Sunday of 2017, and now the last Sunday. So started uh, the year, and I get to end the year with you, uh, you good people. Uh, since I retired from uh, Kingsway back in 2010, I've continued to preach all over the place. Uh, counted up the other day, 120-some different churches that I have preached at, in that period of time, uh, across the country and around the world for that matter. And, and uh, honestly, um, uh, some of those churches I've preached at many times, even many more than uh, here. I've had several interim ministries and so on and so forth along the road. But I can honestly say none more enjoyable than coming back to Crossroads for a lot of different reasons. Number one, you're a wonderful congregation. Thank you. And um, your pastor is a good friend. And also, I see a number of uh, people we've known and loved from over the years from our ministry at Kingsway that uh, have joined us here this morning. And so it's uh, just great to, to have the opportunity to be back in the community and, and greet uh, all those folks as well. It's been a year of significant change for many of you. Some of you have lost loved ones. As a matter of fact, uh, after the first service, as I was visiting with people out in the foyer, there were various different folks who came up and told me about the death of a loved one, or some of you have gotten married, some of you have had babies. A um, lot of significant change has gone on during this last year. Of course, there's been some, um, some other things that would be considered pretty, pretty negative, some trials that you've been through and difficulties that you've been through, but the Lord's been faithful through it all. And, and you as a church... You as a church have been through some pretty significant changes. You've had some staff changes and, and uh, even your physical plant here. Um, several folks that don't regularly attend here came up to me and said, have you seen that children's ministry here? It's just fantastic, beautiful. And uh, you do a great job here in, in, in that regard. So um, there's a lot of things that have taken place and changed. People that have come to the Lord and um, some other significant victories that some of you have won in your individual lives. Of course, as a nation, our, our country's gone through a, a lot of change over this last year. The stock market's taken off to record highs far beyond what anyone could have anticipated, and, and unemployment is way down as low as I can remember. Of course, politically, depending upon where you're coming from, and we won't get into all of that, it's been a year of chaotic change uh, along the way, but change nonetheless. But this morning, I want to talk to you not about those things. I want to talk to you about uh, personal change on a personal level. And the text that I've chosen certainly addresses that for each and every one of us here today, whatever your situation in life is. Now, for your convenience, you'll find it printed on the back of your bulletin, the passage that we've chosen. But I'm going to be reading today from Romans chapter 13, beginning with verse 11. And I'll ask you, if you will, to stand with me out of respect for the Word of God as I read for us this morning. Romans chapter 13, beginning with verse 11. This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up! 
For our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, listen to this, I love this. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Be seated, uh, please. In this passage, uh, Paul gives us an outline for the message, really, as he urges us to do four things. First of all, he says, quit your sinning. (laughs) Pretty basic, isn't it? That's what he says. And he says it to every one of us, quit your sinning. The book of Romans is divided into two parts. As a matter of fact, all of Paul's epistles are divided into two parts. First part is doctrinal, theological, and the second part is practical application. And so in Romans 1 through 11, it's all theological and doctrinal. As a matter of fact, it's the most theologically oriented book of the Bible. And then when you get to chapter 12 and following, it tells us how to live the Christian life based on the theology, based on the doctrine that we've already been taught. Um, He tells us in the practical part a lot of things that we should do as Christians. He also tells us a lot of things that uh, we need to put behind us, that we need to um, uh, depart from, our sinful attitudes, our thoughts, our sinful actions. Paul says to leave your sinful actions behind. I don't have the time to develop each of these, but here's just a few of the things he says that we're to, we're to put behind us. Uh, chapter 12 and verse 9, hate what is wrong. You know, it really troubles me that a lot of Christians today tolerate what's wrong without objection. But the Word of God says to hate what's wrong. Chapter 12 and verse 11, never be lazy. Hey, your wife's been telling you that. This is God telling you that, okay? Never be lazy. Chapter 12 and verse 19, never take revenge. It's the Word of God. Don't do it. Put that behind you. Chapter 13 and verse 9, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not covet, taken right out of the Ten Commandments. Chapter 13 and verse 12, remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes. Chapter 13 and verse 13, don't participate. This is a verse for tonight, by the way. This very timely verse, okay? So listen, this is the Word of God. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties. Got that? Or drunkenness. Got that? or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living, or in quarreling and jealousy. Don't do it. Sometime back, um, a guy that was a member of our church, Kingsway, he, uh, <laughs> uh, he got arrested for a pretty serious crime. And I went out to uh, Danville and to visit him there in the, in the county jail. And he was brought into the visitor's room, and we sat across that table I've sat across that table more times than I I wish uh, I would have had to. But anyway, we had a good visit. Of course, he said that he was innocent, and we've heard that before. And and uh, but he also said that uh, it was really kind of neat. He and a couple other guys had started a a Bible study in their cell block. Well, that sounded pretty positive. I was impressed by that. 
until he said, as a matter of fact, there are two other guys in our cell block that are members at Kingsway too. <laughs> Makes you really proud as a pastor, I got to tell you, you know. And it gives a whole new meaning to the whole term, you know, cell group. I mean, it's just a whole, whole different thing there. But it's not enough to abstain from sinful actions. I mean, that's important, but there are other things that we need to leave behind too. Uh, Other things we need to put out with the old. I mean, I'm talking about things like leaving your resentments behind. Hmm? Some of us are, are, are captive to our resentments of things that have happened in the past. Hey, it's water under the bridge. Uh, The only one you're hurting is yourself, not the person that you resent or even the activity that you resent. Put it behind you. Forget those things that hurt you. It's it's not going to make any difference now at this point in time. Forgive those people for what they said to you or about you, uh, those things that they did to you. Uh, Again, uh, that's that's behind you now. Uh, Forgive those people who did them. Forgive those people who said them. You'll not only bless them, you'll bless you. You know, we, we're angry with people, we resent people. <laughs> Many times they're not even aware of it. The only person we're hurting is ourselves. And so Paul says, put those things behind you. Leave your failures behind. I love the words of Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14. And I have to remind myself of it again and again, where he says, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on. That's what God tells us to do. Forgetting those things. Not in bondage to the past, but moving on toward the future. We can't turn back the clock. We don't get a do-over on 2017. But we can repent of our sin. We can abandon our counterproductive thoughts. Thoughts of resentment and worry and failure. And we can find forgiveness in God's grace. And move on to make 2018 the best year ever. Well, we have to keep going here. Second thing he tells us to do is to keep on loving. Keep on loving. Um, Back up a few verses from our text today. In verses 8 through 10, Paul says, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, listen to this, if you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others. Did you get that? Love does no wrong to others. So love fulfills the requirements of God's love. The fact is, we're all debtors. Uh, we may not acknowledge it, but it's true. We are all debtors. Young college co-ed came home at Christmas time and said to her dad, she said, Dad, I'm, I'm, I'm really worried about the bank that we've been using. She said, I think it's in big trouble. Her dad said, what, what are you talking about? Our bank is one of the strongest banks in the entire, entire state. And it uh, must be some sort of mistake. No, and she began to weep. She said, they just returned one of my checks and marked it insufficient funds. <laughs> Well, think about that for a while and you'll uh, understand it. Uh, The fact is we are all debtors though, but our greatest debt is not financial. Our greatest debt is spiritual, for we all owe a debt of love. Again there in verse 8, owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation, your debt, to love one another. 
Again, our greatest debt is spiritual. Loving people is the right thing to do. Loving people is the best thing to do. I mean, if God could love to the extent that He sent His only begotten Son to be the Savior of the world, to allow our sins to be forgiven, for us to be reconciled to God, then surely no one has done anything to us badly enough that we cannot love those people. It makes sense also that if you love someone, you're not going to do them any, any wrong. <laughs> says you're not going to steal from them, you're not going to murder them, you're not going to commit adultery with your, your friend's spouse. You're, you, you're not going to do those things, you're not even going to talk bad about them. First Peter 4 and verse 8, Peter says, Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. But did you hear that? Most important of all, love one another. Now we all know that we're supposed to love one another. I mean, no one here is ignorant of that fact, but it's not all, always easy to do, is it? Uh, you know, I, I tell you, I, I admit this is an area in which I really struggle many, many times. Um, there are some people that offend us, they irritate us, they do us wrong, they oppose us, they lie about us, or they're just not very likable, you know? I mean, there are some people that we, we just, for some reason, we just really don't, don't even like them. As a pastor, there are some unique areas, uh, unique aspects to this. People question your motives. Uh, I got to tell you, in, in all my years of ministry, you know, hardly ever has a major decision been made that I've announced that someone didn't come and say, okay, preacher, that's, that's the story for public consumption. Now what's the real story? In other words, there's got to be something else going on. It couldn't just be that, that simple. Can't tell you how many times I've had that. When staff are hired or fired, there's always people who say, oh, come on now, tell us what's, what's really going on. We start a new program, what's really going on? And attacks come in on your humanity. You know, uh, just this last week, I learned about a lie that had been passed around about me for, for years that either I never knew about or I'd long since forgotten. But, but um, you know, when those times come, you want to defend yourself. Want to defend yourself, but you can't many times because of confidentiality or because to tell the whole story to everyone would be to hurt certain innocent people. And so you just have to take it instead. I know Pastor Craig's never experienced this, but, but I, you know, I, I have. I have over the years. And it's really hard to love people sometimes. It really is. A pastor friend of mine says that he doesn't hate anybody, but if the Lord ever says it's okay to hate, he's already got his list all made out. <laughs> and I have an idea, many of us have a list like that. Maybe you've seen Raisin in the Sun. It was first um, uh, a stage uh, performance, and it was made into a movie as well. As a matter of fact, at the first service, someone told me they watched this movie every, every year. It, it's a, really a play about an African-American family who live in Harlem in the ghetto, and uh, they're very poor until they get this huge inheritance that comes from a life insurance policy. And uh, immediately the, the mother in the family, she sees this as a way of getting out of the ghetto, of moving out of Harlem. And uh, that's, that's what she sees. But she has a daughter, brilliant daughter, but being very poor, her daughter's dream of going to medical school seems beyond her reach. But now with this inheritance, she can go to medical school 
But she has a younger brother and the younger brother has a friend and this, this friend is starting up this new business or this new opportunity for an investment. And, and if he can just have the money, he can invest it in this new business and lo and behold, he'll make enough money to pay for his sister to go to medical school and for his mom to get out of the ghetto and everything will be good if he just has the money and so the mother gives the money to him, he invests it and you know the rest of the story. The partner abscounds with it all and they're left with nothing. And the daughter, the sister, she um, lashes out at her brother, calling him every despicable thing that you can think of. Her contempt for her brother knows no limits. And she just goes on a tirade against him. And in the midst of the tirade, she takes a breath and her mother jumps in. And her mother says, I thought I told you to love him. And the daughter responded by saying, love him? Love him. There's nothing left to love. And the mother responds, there's always something left to love. And if you ain't learned that, then daughter, you ain't learned nothing. Have you ever cried for that boy, she asked? Have you cried for that boy today? I don't mean for yourself and our family because of all that money we've lost. I mean for him and what he's been through and what it's done to him. Child, when do you think is the time to love somebody the most? When they've done good? When they made things easy for you? Well, then you ain't through learning because that ain't the time at all. It's when he's at his lowest, when he can't believe in himself because the world unwhipped up on him. When you start measuring somebody, you measure them right, measure them right. Make sure you take into account the the hills and the valleys he came through to get to where he is now. Oh, there's a lot of lessons to learn from that that play, that drama. But the the main line that jumps out at me is there's always something left to love. There's always something left to love if you're looking for it. So demonstrate love. Quit your sinning. Keep on loving. And then, <laughs> third thing he says here is, wake from sleeping. That's for any of you that nodded off, all right? <laughs> Chapter 13 and verse 11. This is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Paul says that we all need to understand, and I think this, this last day of The old year is a good time to do this. In particular, we need to understand that it's time to do what needs to be done. We need to get on with the program. Stop putting it off. We're all good at procrastination. I must admit it's a a weakness in my own life. There are certain things I thoroughly enjoy doing, and I have no problem getting them done. But there's other things I just kind of dread and I push off and I push. My son says I, I work well under pressure. Well, that's a nice way of putting it. Fact is, the only reason I'm under pressure is because I've been putting it off and putting it off. And now it's got to be done. And, and usually I do get it done, but, but not as easily and certainly not as happily as it would have been otherwise. Um, the subject changes, but the verb procrastinate um, continues, remains the same. Whether it's carrying out the trash, mowing the lawn, cleaning your room, paying the bills, all those sorts of things. Or whether it's something of even greater depth and significance and meaning spiritually. We're all guilty. And the greatest and most dangerous procrastination of all has to do with the spiritual dimensions of life. The things that have eternal implications. Someone here 
I don't know you by name. I don't know specifically who you are. But even on this snowy day, in which I know there's many people who otherwise would be here who aren't, there's someone here who's been thinking about accepting Christ as Lord and Savior for a long, long time, for years. You were thinking about it when I was here the first Sunday of 2017, and you're still thinking about it. It's time. It's time. Um, Some of you have confessed Christ as Lord and Savior, but for whatever the reason, you've put off being baptized into Christ. Well, you've got a great opportunity at Baptism Sunday coming up here in just a, just a couple of weeks, and you need to be reminded the Word of God says, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Peter said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, no exceptions, every, every one of you. I, I heard a, <laughs> a great true story. One of the folks from Kingsway this year this morning told me about a little boy, no, a little girl I think it was, I don't know the details, I'll just be honest about it, except for the fact this little kid was in the main service for the first time, and, and a four-year-old who was in there as well, but had been there before, was pointing out different things. This is, that, this is a certain thing, this is a certain thing, pointing out the baptistry. And the other kid said, what's the ba- ba- baptistry for, you know? And he said, well, it's full of water. And said, Pastor John, he takes people, and they go down in the water, and he he dunks them under the water, and when they come up, he washes their hair. <laughs> I, I, I don't know where, where that came from, but it's, I guess you could work that in, you know, somehow or another along the line. But it's time. It's time. Some of you have been thinking about talking to a loved one about Christ. Dad's unsaved, mom, brother, sister, aunts, uncles, cousins. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's someone you go to school with, and you know they don't know the Lord. And you've been thinking about going to them and talking to them and witnessing to them, but it's always, you know, there will be a more convenient time, a more convenient time. The problem is those convenient times many times run out before you get around to it. Hey, I'm, 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 not, I'm, not, I'm not preaching to you about things that I'm not preaching to me about. Over the years, I can think of many times there was someone I was going to go and talk to, and then it was too late. They were gone. And there was someone that I needed a witness to, and, and, and next thing I knew, maybe I even finally decided I was going to do it and found out they moved away, and I don't have the opportunity anymore. It's time. It's time, don't you see? Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 16, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Now, listen to how he defines those who are wise. He says, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Make the most of every opportunity. Lord doesn't want us to procrastinate when it comes to doing His will for our lives. Putting it off often just makes things harder, more difficult, and even worse, it often makes it too late to do what we should have done. So Paul says, wake up, get up, get busy, time's running out to accomplish God's will. Time to wake up because Paul says the night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. In other words, the day of the Lord's return And when the Lord returns, for those who are ready and waiting, it it will be a glorious day. But for those who are unprepared, what a horrible day it will be. Paul says it's time to remove our dark deeds, to repent of, to abandon those things that we would not want the Lord to come and find us doing. Let me ask you directly. And please, 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 um, I I hope that you're, you're not just listening, but you're soaking this in and you're examining your own life as we're talking about these things 
Uh, I said in the first service, you know, I've heard preachers actually say, uh, don't take this personally. I don't understand that. Why would you preach if you didn't want people to take it personally? I want you to take it personally. When I ask you this question, is there some dark area of your life, some darkness in your soul? Maybe it has to do with specific sin or the resentment that we were talking about or the failure to forgive or the failure to love or, or some of these other things. Is there a place of darkness in your soul? How long have you been planning to repent of it? Rid your life of it? Isn't it time? We all, every last one of us here, I know that I'm safe in saying this. Every last one of us here have areas of our lives that we struggle with. But whatever it is that needs to be cleared out or cleaned up, don't procrastinate. Wake up. Get the job done. Do something about it. Now. Quit your sinning. Keep on loving. Wake from sleeping. And then finally, and don't you love that word? <laughs> finally, when a preacher, doesn't usually mean much when a preacher says it, but at least it gives you hope, doesn't it? Finally, dress for living. Dress for living. Most of us like to dress nice, even though our definitions of what looks nice uh, are very different from person to person and even from generation to generation. Our, our younger grandson, I remember when he was about four, five maybe at the most, they were going to come over to our house, he and his family, and he went to his mom with a shirt and asked her to iron it, especially nice, and put on this shirt, and then he had a little clip-on tie, and he put this clip-on tie on, you know, and he said, he said to his mom, I just want to look nice for Granny and Papa. That's where you're supposed to say, ah, you know. Okay, okay, that's better, yeah. But we like to look nice, at least outwardly. So like the poor old country preacher, his wife went into town, she went into a dress shop, and she ended up buying a $250 dress. They couldn't afford a $250 dress. And her husband was so upset, and he said, why why did you do that? And she said, well, I was walking by this, this store and they had a sale on and I went in and I saw this dress hanging there and I really liked that dress. And she said, I found myself trying it on and I liked it even more. And she said, it was like Satan was right there with me saying, uh, why don't you go ahead and, and buy, buy that dress? It really looks good on you. And so her husband spoke up and said, why don't you say, get behind me, Satan? She said, I did. And he said, looks good from back here too. <laughs> well... Uh, we've all had those experiences, haven't we? But back to how we dress. Actually, how we dress outwardly has some importance, but not the greater importance. It's what's on the inside that's far, far more important. And that's why Paul writes in verse 14, instead, clothe yourself. I love this. Clothe, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. I love the story of Peter and John. Early church, early days of the church, they've been arrested for preaching the gospel. They're brought before the Sanhedrin council there to give defense for what they've done. But it tells us in Acts 4 and verse 13, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in Scripture, but they also recognized them. Listen to this. Listen to this. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. 
Do people notice that about you? I mean, people that you encounter, uh, people that you get involved with, do they, do they recognize right off the bat, hey, here's someone that's been hanging out with Jesus. We need to be clothed with Christ, dressed by the Holy Spirit. Over the years, I have officiated, as you might imagine, at hundreds of funerals. Even in retirement, I still continue to have a lot of, I have a funeral this Tuesday, as a matter of fact. And often now, in my retirement years, the deceased is someone that I've known and loved, someone that's dear to me. And one of those was a lady named Marge Perry. <laughs> she always sat right down here by, in the seat my daughter is sitting in this morning, second, second row, just two or three seats over. And she was one of those people whose very presence was an encouragement to me. Craig, we all need some people like that. And uh, as I would preach, she was always right down here in the second row in the last service of the day. And she was always listening intently, taking notes, nodding her head, um, expressing agreement as I made different points. And after the service, Marge always looked me up somewhere uh, in the foyer out there where I was greeting people. And she always had something positive to say. Even in my worst sermon, she could find something good to affirm, and so she would, she would come and tell me that. Over the years, I got uh, literally hundreds of notes and cards, letters of encouragement, um, but I don't think I got more from any one person than I did from Marge Perry. She was just an incredible lady. And uh, Marge died. It, she, she knew she was dying. It was a fairly lengthy death, and my wife Jan was here today. She and I visited often with Marge during that time. But I've got to tell you this, and it'll sound strange to some of your ears, and I'm sorry for that, but her memorial service was one of the most enjoyable services I've ever participated in. Um, part of her family are here in this service this morning, and I, I think they understand what I'm saying when I say the, the leader of her life group, a wonderful African-American brother, um, Clem uh, O.J., he, he um, read scripture and prayed in that strong Nigerian-African voice and dialect that he had. There was thrilling special music that day. We sang a couple of Marge's favorite hymns. At the end of the service, her son, Mike Perry, who's here someplace or another, Mike's right over here. Mike has an incredible voice. Craig, you might want to ask him to come sing sometime. I know he'd love to. and He's, a, he's just a great singer, but he closed the service in song. Her grandson, Aaron Arnold, who was um, home for his grandma's funeral, and he spoke that day. He's a, he's a missionary. I, of course, had the opportunity to preside and preach that day, but I was especially touched by a piece that was written by her last boss. Now, what I mean by that is this. While Marge was a very active member of Kingsway, um, she was the church secretary over in Claremont at the Claremont Christian Church. And upon her death, her, past, her, her, her boss, their pastor, Jim Burks, wrote a piece that he called, I Caught a Glimpse of Jesus. And I want to share it with you, if I can get through it. And give me some grace on this. He wrote, I, I caught a glimpse of Jesus just the other day. He was working in the office next to mine. I didn't know he whistled a lot. But his tune sure brightened my day. 
He liked to work hard, to keep busy. He wasn't much for taking breaks or wasting time. He typed my letters and answered my phone, welcomed my visitors. I didn't know he did such ordinary things, but he did them for me. He liked to work hard, to keep busy. He wasn't much for, well, I read that, didn't I? But I caught a glimpse of Jesus just the other day. I never realized how much he laughed, but he sure laughed a lot in our office. And his joy was contagious, and his smile was that special kind of smile that could only come from knowing the joys of heaven. His compassion was inspirational. He always seemed to know when somebody needed a hug, a smile, a word of welcome, a pat on the back. In his desk, he kept treats for dogs and candy for children. Both were always more than welcome in our office. He held the hands of those whose hearts were aching, and he shared hope with those who cried. And although I'm not sure that he possessed all that much, I watched as he gave money from his own pocket to more than one less fortunate soul. I heard him pray and share with those who were unsure if they'd be welcome in a church, but they certainly learned that they were welcome here because of him. The UPS man, the copier guy, the unexpected visitor off the street, all found a friend in him. I caught a glimpse of Jesus the other day. Didn't take me long to notice that he had a special heart for pastors, missionaries, Chileans, Central Americans, Asians, and especially Africans. And all of those in God's great big family of faith. And his heart raced with a special beat for those who needed to hear the good news. He had a special empathy for the unique challenges that a preacher or a missionary might face. And he often told me that I was doing a good job. Or he assured me that I was making a difference. These words always seem to come at just the right time. As a pastor, he celebrated with me when I rejoiced comforted me when I cried, was gracious to me when I know I was not at my best. He summoned others to help me when he knew I really needed some extra support. And just the other day, just the other day, his words lifted me once again as I was assured that I was loved and that we would see each other again before too long in heaven. He was so much more than a co-worker. He was a friend in the truest sense of the word. Yeah, I caught a glimpse of Jesus the other day. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> he didn't look at all like I'd imagined. He looked more like somebody's grandma. And he insisted that his name was March Perry. I wonder... Has anyone mistaken you for Jesus recently? <laughs> See, Marge had the being right. And so the doing just naturally flowed out of that. See, folks, life is fleeting. Even the longest of lives is short in relation to eternity. So doesn't it make sense to wait no longer and first and foremost, getting right with the Lord. <laughs> Out with the old, in with the new. 
There are some old things that probably all of us need to, no, surely all of us need to abandon. And there are some new things that all of us need to embrace. But again, most important of all, to get right with the Lord. We stand on the brink of a new year, very last day of the old year, hours away from the new year, a time of new beginnings. What will you do with it? I want to ask you to bow your head with me, close your eyes, every head bowed, every eye closed. Please, no one looking around. This is far too personal, intimate for that. But I wonder this morning, are there sins in your life that you need to abandon? I'm not just talking about overt, outward, despicable sins from the attitude of our society. I may be talking about lack of forgiveness or resentment or even worry or something else that can certainly become sin in our life. I wonder this morning, is there anyone here who would say, yeah, there is, there has been, there is sin in my life, but today I... I want to repent of that sin, and I want things to be different in the new year. I want to put that sin behind me. Anyone just with the raising of your hand that would say that across the auditorium? Oh, wow. It's so prevalent among us, isn't it? We've all got those things in our lives. Well, how about this one? Are there people that you need to choose to love? I mean, it's been so difficult. Maybe they hurt you. Maybe you have a right, as far as rights go, to feel offended. Though when we think of what Christ has done for us and how we've been forgiven, how could we withhold forgiveness from anyone else? Someone that you really have not loved. As a matter of fact, you may have felt contempt, maybe even hatred for them, but recognizing what God has done for you and recognizing God's will that we love one another You'd say, I'm going to make every effort in this new year to love that person that I have failed to love in the past. Anyone here? You'd raise your hand to that and say yes. Someone specific I'm thinking of now. Someone or someone specific. God bless you. I want to pray for you in just a moment in that regard. Things you've been putting off. Maybe witnessing to that friend. Maybe getting in that life group, that small group that... Craig was talking about earlier. Just something in your own life that you know you've been procrastinating about that you need to do and should do. Following the Lord in Christian baptism coming up here in just a couple of weeks. You know what the Word teaches, but for whatever reason you've put it off. But today you're saying, I'm going to put it off no longer. I'm going to carry through with what I know the Lord wants me to do. Any of you that would raise your hand to that and say, yeah, that's me. That's what I'm going to do. God bless each one of you. And what about this matter of clothing yourself with Christ? I realize in some ways it's more subjective, and I also know it's something that we never reach in its entirety in this life. The Apostle Paul, Philippians said, I want to know Christ. Well, he was saved. He was an apostle. He, he was used of God to establish many churches and bring thousands to Christ, and yet he said, I want to know Christ. What he, he wanted to know him more intimately, more personally, more closely. He, he wanted to fade into the background that Christ might be seen in and through him and the power of Christ might be manifest in his life. Any of you today that identify with that 
story I shared with you about Marge Perry. <laughs> I mean, that, that wasn't anything. She'd be so embarrassed by my even talking about that today. But, but you want people to be able to see Jesus in you. Would you raise your hand if that, that be the case? And you, you want to do that. You need to do that. God bless you. Oh, Father, I realize that this morning uh, some of us are just here because it's Sunday morning we go to church. And I know, Father, there are some that are just anxious to get this preacher to shut up and so we can move on with the activities of the day. But I also know that there's some folks here I believe are sincere in the raising their hand in some specific areas of their life. And God, I want to pray right now for them that, Father, the, the resolve, the commitment that they feel right now might, Father, be carried out in reality. Sins repented of, forgiven by your marvelous grace, Father, would no longer have a part of the lives of those, Father, who have admitted sin that needs to be gotten rid of, put behind them. And Father, for those who need to deal with resentments and lack of forgiveness, Father, some of those other attitudes that so many, many times are so... They bind us so, take away freedom and liberty. Oh God, help us to put those things behind us. The resentments, the worries, and all that sort of thing of the past. God, help us to really move into this new year with having left those things behind. And God, for the things we've been putting off, you know, as people have raised their hand, you know specifically what they were thinking of, what they were talking about. And Lord, I pray that... uh, You'd help every one of them to stop putting those things off and, Father, to follow through as you'd have them to follow through. And, oh, Lord, though I know it's more subjective and harder to be objective about, God, help every Christian here to live in such a way, to grow in such a way, to go through the process the Bible calls sanctification, that, Father, we might become more and more and more like Jesus this year so that people could actually mistake us for him. Oh God, help us to be out with the old and in with the new, that Christ Jesus might be glorified, and that Father, our lives might be blessed as you so desire to bless them. We pray in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Pastor Craig. Stand with me, please. No one moving about for another moment.